MFM Podcasts. Brought to you with Carrickmacross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Carrickmacross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Carrickmacross or carrickmacrosscu.ie Let me take you back. During the Troubles, Mid-Ulster Catholics were terrorised by an infamous Glenan gang, a conglomerate of the UVF, OUC and UDR members who are believed to have been responsible for the murder of more than 120 innocent civilians between 1972 and 1978. One of the atrocities involved the O'Dowd family who had three of their family murdered on the 4th of January 1976. A new documentary produced by award-winning filmmaker Sean Murray and called Unquiet Graves will show in the Solstice Arts Centre in Navin this Friday at half past seven and ahead of its screening I'm joined by Sean and Barney O'Dowd who survived that shooting in 76. You're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me. Sean, if I could start with yourself... Those were very dark days 40 years ago, and I remember them well, looking from a distance down south. Um, People would say, why not let sleeping dogs lie? That's a a, a very important statement, and it's one that that, that creates the, the, uh, the, the... Dynamic, if you like, for the, the, the legacy debate, which is happening at the minute, and uh, in, in, of course in the north of Ireland, that, you know, how I situate my work and how many people do uh, in the field of transitional justice, we look at that and we say that, you know, it's very easy to let sleeping dogs lie, but particularly when we have marginalised voices that were never given a voice during the conflict, uh, we do need those voices to be heard and unquiet graves amongst other uh, post-conflict documentaries do give a voice and do empower victims to tell their story. You were four years at this. Uh, for yourself, and you're a man from the North as well, did this reveal happenings that y- you would never have known? Were you surprised by what the documentary has brought to us? Well, no, but I, I come from West Belfast myself, yeah. so I come from an area where there were a lot of killings mm. also. But even, even at that I always wanted to make a film about an overarching story in regards to collusion uh, because the community that I come from were victimised by the state. But I, I never, I, I realised that it was grand in scale, but it wasn't until I had read Anne Cadwallader's book, Lethal Allies, that I realised the scale of the involvement of particular officers within the RUC and the British Army, uh, the UDR. Uh, it wasn't until I read that book that I realised that this was something that was very, very systemic. It was institutional and it was, uh, it really, it dumbfounded me once I'd, I'd learned a lot more about it. Let's bring uh, into the conversation a man who was there on that fateful night. Barney is with us on the show this afternoon, uh, Barney O'Dowd. Barney, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Thank you. Can you begin by telling me, uh, what do you recall of that night when you lost three members of your family? Well, at the start, it's a bit of a story. Mm. So I need to tell you the story. Yes, go ahead. Well, it was 4th of January, you should say, and it was a Sunday night after Christmas. And that was a, a night that was reserved for a brother and his wife and the two, of their, two or three of their children. And they had duly arrived at about half past six or so, and they, it was, a meal was ready, everything. We were, myself and my brother were in the sitting room. The rest of the family, except Barry, 
were in the kitchen. A knock came to the door and my wife answered it. When she opened the door, he put his foot in, so she couldn't get it shut. And uh, there was three of them. They just had to walk three steps, and we were in the sitting room, which was on the right. The kitchen of the house was on the left, and the rest of the whole people that was there, my brother's wife and children, and uh, uh, all of ones too, who were in for the sort of Christmas party yes. sort of thing. And uh, he, he walked, yes, the three were in there, and this guy was standing with a gun in his hand. And he said, this is a hold-up. Well, I didn't, <laughs> he didn't need to tell me I could see that. <laughs> I, I, well, we're speechless. We were all speechless. And the first thing he did was he fired a shot. And it got me in my elbow, another elbow, but the wrist. And it spun me around. I got up and I got another one which spun me around again, but it was lower, it was down my thigh. I could stay. By this time, it was totally and absolutely bewildered, you see. Yes. And uh, I could see my brother Joe, who was a very courageous man, going mid-air for this fellow and the other two that were standing behind him. Now, that was as close as we are, nearly. And I could see Joe dropping like that. And I knew he was shot dead. Hey, <coughs> must have shot me again the few times through the body. And when I, I had passed out, but when I awoke, Joe was lying to my right hand dead. And my son Barry, who had been there and I didn't realize he was in the room, was on the other side. I, I pulled myself up by the handle of the door onto my feet and uh, it was pandemonium right through the rest of the house, but these these guys were gone. And I uh, pulled myself onto my feet and went into the hallway, or got into the hallway, and Declan was lying dead in the hallway. He had been heard the noise and was coming out from the kitchen into the sitting room. So that was actually the scene. And... Uh, of course, the rest of it now was my mother getting me to hospital and so forth. You'd been shot five times? I shot through my body five times. Yes. And three and three, three family members dead? Three? Uh, three had died? Three of your family had died on the scene, yes? Three of my family yes. had died. And, uh, of course, the next thing you can really remember is being in hospital. Mm -hmm and uh, being seen to that uh, rang uh, the ambulance and got into the hospital. Mm. And uh, <coughs> that was it now, until uh, 
I woke on Tuesday, on Tuesday morning, to this uh, announcement about the King's Mill killing. Mm. Oh, just in time for that. But uh, a short time after that, the doctor, the surgeon, came around and he said, uh, told me how just how serious I was hurt. And he says, you've a, a family, a wife and family at home, and I'm begging you, he said, to live. For if you haven't got the will to live, he says, all the work we have done on you would only be lost. You have to have that desire to live. And strange enough, I got that desire to live. And, you know, even with no one about the three deaths, you would nearly think I just wanted to go along with them. But no, I thought of the family at home. And I got this desire to live. And uh, it was all good news after that. What age are you today? What age am I? Yes, 96 in a week. <laughs> you are one great man, may I say. You really are. You came through and you did make it and you went back to your family and you tried as best you could to rebuild your life. Yes. That must have been really difficult. Well, it was wonderful to get back home. Before that, before I got home... That doctor or surgeon I arrived in one day with the, into the, my ward. I, of course, I was in, in intensive care for quite a while. Yes. But he arrived in with some students with him. And he told them the story that day and the whole thing and wanted to know of me how I lived. So I told him, apart from his own expertise, the will he gave me to live helped me to live. And you had lost two sons, Declan and Barry. Yes. 19, Declan was. Barry was 24. And a brother of yours, Joe. Yes. That's right. How many children have you surviving? How many survived of oh, your children? six. We had eight of a family. Okay. Did you remain long living where you were living then before you moved to County Meath? Did I... Stay where you were? Where, where, where? Oh, no. We, uh, as soon as we, I got fit enough to travel, we started looking for a home where decent people lived. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yes. Yes. And you moved to Meath, was it? You moved to and Meath? We were moved to, we bought a house in Meath in March. Yeah. And my, my wife had been going crazy to get out of it, you see. Yeah. But once we had the house bought, she settled down a lot. And I was prepared for to stay, foolishly enough, and do my own thing about this, you know? Yeah. But uh, Kathleen had uh, been out and ran into one of the uh, uh, hold-ups that they, 
there the the um, army roadblocks, army and UVF yes. and so forth. Yeah. But this was totally a UVF thing. Yeah, and she had Noel with her, mm. and I took Noel out of the car, and I thought she thought he was going to be shot too. Mm. So when she came in, she said, "Look, we're for Navin tomorrow." <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I hadn't even seen about the electricity in the house or anything. Just the house was sitting there. Yeah. So we were in heaven that the next day. So that little incident prompted her to say, listen, no more thoughts of staying here. We are going. Before I come back to Sean, I want to ask you this. Why we, Do you ever consider, why were you targeted? Why, was why were you targeted as a family? Why? Well... I'd possibly maybe would have been the most known because we had a milk business and a coal business. Mm. And we did a lot of business in in the local area and around. Mm. And, the, uh, well, our name was in every house type of thing. Yes. You know, we, yes. we got moved to people who got both of us, coal and milk. Yeah. And that was over quite an area now. Mm. You know. So you were a prominent family of a faith at the time and you were just randomly picked out and selected. Oh, yes. Uh, plus the fact maybe the location of her home mm. made it uh, more attractive for them for we lived down a lane and, and uh, it was easy to get at it without travelling down the lane. There was all roadways from from other laneways that just had only to cross a field. Yes, and it is a, it was an easy an easy target. Yeah. Let me come back to Sean. Sean, you listen, and I'm sure you've listened to Barney on, on many times. But describing that scene as he does there and the massive loss to his family, it's horrendous, isn't it, to contemplate even today what happened then. Well, it is, you know, uh, it's people like Barney that drive me in doing the work that I do. But, you know, Barney's story, uh, there, there are many stories like Barney also, but the, the, the problem is, is that these stories have been marginalised. These stories haven't been heard. Uh, they're not mainstream stories, you know. Everything was seen through the prism of a terrorist campaign. But if you were killed by the state, it was marginalised, it was hidden, and you never heard stories like Barney's stories. So... I mean, it means a lot, obviously, to the Odoud family, and it means a lot to me also to be here today and for Barney's story to be heard. And and we must say, just before uh, the O'Dowd family uh, were destroyed by this, hours or just before that, there was another family who were hit as well in similar circumstances. Was it the same gang that hit them? Yes, it was the same gang. It was the Glenon gang, so 17 miles away. The modus operandi of this gang was usually to, to attack two places at the one time, yeah. and they tried to wipe two families out, the O'Dowd family and the, the Reavy family in White Cross, and they killed th- three Reavy brothers only 17 miles away, basically at the same time, on the same night. Innocent people, again, targeted because of their faith. And as Barney said there, the next day, and he remembered that being in hospital, we had the Kingsmill massacre, where another 10 men were indiscriminately killed because of their faith on the other side. That's correct. That was the next night. So yeah. not not far from the, the Reavy home in White Cross, we had 10 Protestant workmen that were killed the next night. So this was a cycle that was going on. And no doubt about it, this was collusion between the British state and loyalist terrorists. Without doubt, yeah. Undoubtedly. And, and Barney, for you, do, do you... Do you think, when you think back and think to those times and, and subsequently what's emerged, 
Have you an idea of who carried out this? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, Do you know names? There was a very good detective came to me in hospital. And, uh, well, they were making such a, a, a bad case of Owens, I didn't even want to talk to the man. Mm. But uh, one of my brothers insisted on me and having him, and he turned out to be very good detective called George Christie and he told me he said this we know who this is and he's a hard man he says and we've had him in before he says but he he took a he indicated that that had been pretty rough on him but he says we're going to get him this time and they well, I left it to him after that, but then uh, there was a change in the in the put it down leadership of the what were you the UVF surgeon or something? No, or in the in the police force, the RUC was it? Sorry, in the police force, yes, yes the RUC. And uh, the whole change, the whole thing changed after that. And uh, he actually admitted to me that he knew well who was doing it, but there wasn't a thing he could do about it. He thought he could, Mm. but the situation had changed and he he couldn't go any further. So in other words, you had a good cop there who was doing his job and was willing to follow this and investigate and everything. But he was removed. Yes. Yes, Sean? Was. Yeah, we can also, I mean, I, I just like the add that actually, but I think it's very important uh, t- to note this, that the man involved in, 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 in killing members of the O'Dowd family, Robin Jackson, who was the leader of the Glen Ann gang, was a special branch OUC member and also a member of the UDR, which is the British Army at the time. But more importantly, he was created, he was an agent that was created by the state and all his killings, as far as we know, were were organised killings against members of the GA, members, innocent members of the Catholic community. So he was encouraged. And as far as we know also, he was one of the, the, the biggest mass murderers during the conflict, and he personally killed over 100 people himself while under the pay of the state. It's very, very important to note that. Yeah. I want to take a short break on late lunch. Sean Murray has produced this wonderful uh, piece of work called Unquiet Graves, the story of the Lenan gang. And I'm talking to Sean and Barney O'Dowd, who lost two sons and a brother in an attack back in 1976. Stay with us on Late Lunch. Unquiet Graves, the story of the Danan gang. We're talking about it on Late Lunch today and I just want to correct something I said earlier. It's been screened in Navin in the Solstice this Thursday. It's Thursday evening at 7.30 in the Solstice. I highly recommend this to you to get along and see it. It's a brilliant piece of work and I'll tell you something, it really will open your eyes up. So that's 7.30 in the Solstice in Navin to see this on this Thursday uh, evening 7.30 and tickets available at Solstice and you can go along on the evening as as well. Um, Sean, let me come back to you for a second. We, we talk about, you know, collusion and this has risen its head many times and the legacy issues as well. Why haven't these people received any justice all these years later? Well, for people like Barney to receive the justice that they want, it entails the, the whole narrative of the conflict change. So the hegemonic narrative is that there was a, a terrorist campaign that Britain was keeping the peace between between two uh, tribal factions 
and uh, and that it was a, a sectarian war that they were they were just trying to get to peacekeep. But I mean, we know differently. I mean, the state were one of the main protagonists in the conflict, and were encouraging and involved in wide scale collusion against the Catholic community. I want to read some comment we're getting. Keep them coming to us. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. So you can call in on 1857-15958. To hear Barney's story is on the one hand absolutely terrifying, says a listener, but such a brilliant man to have lived through that incident. May God bless him. Another one says, Jerry, what an amazing man Barney is uh, to have on your show today. He's made of strong stuff to survive that attack, both physically and mentally. Wishing him continued good health and luck. And please, God, this country never returns to those dark days, says another listener today. Another one, Jerry, what a man. Can't wait to see his story on the screen in Navin. So there you are. You have a ticket sale or two there, for sure, anyway, for Thursday evening. Thursday evening, the solstice, I say, again at 7.30 Barney I want to come back to you for a, for a moment and you're 96 years of age now it's over 40 years later you're still campaigning for an answer from you know the authorities in Britain and Northern Ireland what would make you happy now you can never be happy having lost two children and a brother and all that followed for your family what would satisfy you at this stage to happen very hard to know because you'd want to get away from a feeling of hate now that was one thing that I was able to do I didn't hate anybody after it I didn't hate even Jackson and they because hate is a self-devouring and self-destructive so uh, that 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 was a big help. Family were terrific, terrific family. All together, they gave us such encouragement and were so good to me and their mummy. Right, right through. Kathleen, who passed away yes. a few years ago as well, that is an amazing quality to have in anybody. You lose two of your children. They're murdered. Your brother's murdered. And you don't hate. No. You never have. No. I never could say I hated anybody. There's a lot of people I didn't agree with. But didn't hate them. Couldn't hate. Hate's self-devour. But today, you'd still like some answers. You'd still like to know why. Oh, yes. I, I... well, of course, <laughs> we had the, the British state, the Northern Ireland state too, and the, uh, with the, what way would I put it? With the connivance, really, with the connivance of uh, all their bodies, the other bodies being, it's hard to say, but we didn't get an awful lot from the church in the way of encouragement. Hmm. Now, I didn't hit any of them for that. And, yes. And but you felt they could have spoken up more? Oh, yes. Questioned oh, I more? Really, I really do. Hey, not alone in my case, but in, yes. in most cases. Hmm. Our neighbours were 
even worse treated than that. Mm. Yes, we lost two children. I, uh, <clears throat> well, there's things you can say and there's things you can't say. I understand. And there's, there's some of the things I can't say. Yeah. Even today. Even I understand. today. I understand that. Yes. Well. I do. I do, but I hear what you're saying and what you're looking for. And that's that's not unreasonable, Sean, for, for the Odells or any family who this touched to say, come on, it's time. It's time to own up. It's time to tell us the reality of this. How deep was the collusion? Who was involved? Who gave the directions? Who carried out these atrocities? Of course, well, I mean, it's just as simply as saying, stop redacting the documents for 70 years plus. Stop these mystery fires that are going off. Stop these uh, documents going missing through asbestos accidents. I mean, it's it's quite it's got to the point now where documents that that I have seen uh, from the Ministry of Defence that weren't redacted, that weren't covered, are now redacted after the the published the, the sorry the release of unquiet graves. So we're talking about documents that we could see maybe four years ago are now redacted. So they're still redacting documents uh, to hide the truth from victims like Barney O'Dowd during the conflict. So this is still going on today? Still going Despite on. Despite the peace process of 20 years and the, the relative peace we've had since, you know, thank God that that's, the guns have fallen silent to a greater or lesser degree, but this still continues? It's still continuing, yeah. Why did you make this? Did you make this with a view to, again bringing this into the public domain, not letting people like the O'Dowds be forgotten or those who lost their lives in the hope that maybe this would act in a little way to prompt people to finally address this. Well, I think the film is a very powerful medium. I think that there are two ways that, that families can get any semblance of justice. It's through the criminal, ju- criminal justice system, which is very, very constrained because obviously these documents are being hidden and the work of barristers and solicitors can only get to a certain level. But they can't constrain the voices of Barney O'Dowd. Film can bring that voice to another level. It can, it can empower uh, the, the voices of people like the O'Dowd family and it can't constrain it. Uh, this film will be going all around the world. I'm going to Australia in a couple of weeks with a film. Uh, it'll be streaming from the 1st of June uh, from Amazon Prime and iTunes, etc. So the story will be getting out there. And more importantly, the reason why I do it is because uh, the, the voices of these marginalised victims uh, are forever immortalised. Those stories will be there forever. They will outlive us all. Look, we're going to run out of time shortly, but I, I do want to mention a couple of, of, of people in the documentary. John Weir, former RUC man, now living in the Southern Hemisphere. His revelation, shocking. Yeah, that is very It was shocking. a plot to go into a, a school. Catholic primary school. And indiscriminately murder children. That's correct, yeah. That's right. And uh, that other lady, Margaret Campbell, whose husband, Pat, was murdered, that scene where she was taken to the RUC station. You're taken into the nest of the vipers themselves. This is, this is a woman who's seen her own husband being shot dead on their doorstep. But what Margaret Campbell told me, what was worse, was being brought to the ID parade mm. by these RUC men, uh, people who were involved in the killing, and having to put her hand on, on the shoulder of the person she's seen killing her husband. How could she do it? And, and that they're just aspects of this wonderful work, only aspects of it. Barney, you've spent your life and a great part of it in Drumree and County Mead now and reared the rest of your children, some of whom are with you today. There's just one thing I'd like to make clear now. Yeah. When I said I don't hate and have never hated, I couldn't forgive. Yes. 
that to be out and I couldn't forget. Yes. They're important points to make as well. Yes. Yeah. But you, subsequently with your move, you've settled into County Meath and enjoyed your years there with your family. Oh, yes, yes. very much so. But the campaign continues, even from County Meath and yeah. through this documentary and a lot more as well. I'll remind you again... Go see this. Go to the Solstice on Thursday, 7.30. It's coming out later in the year on uh, Amazon Prime. You, it'll be on iTunes or to ear screening it. Sean's travelling all over the world. Here's your chance in the North East to go and see this firsthand for yourself. The Solstice. Tickets available from them and on the evening as well. But for the moment, congratulations to you, Sean Murray, on a brilliant brilliant work and thank you so much Barney O'Dowd for, and your children for joining me here today on the show I really do appreciate it and I wish you well and I please God you will have justice and answers sooner rather than later thank you all indeed thank you LMFM Podcasts brought to you with Carrickmacross Credit Union where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Carrickmacross Credit Union holiday loan O'Neill Street Carrickmacross or carrickmacrosscu.ie